My name is Andrew Philbeck. I am in charge of groups here at Mount Pleasant, and I'm excited that I get the opportunity to be with you today as we wrap up our very brief Better Together series. Uh, we're doing this after only two weeks, and we're also doing it at the same time that we are opening up signups for the next season of our group's ministry. And I just want to say that if you have any questions about that, what that looks like, how you can get involved, please feel free to email me or Amber Clark. We would love to connect with you and help you in any way that we can. And along those lines, I do want to take a moment and recognize that, you know, for most people, probably all people, the group experience looks different right now than it has at any other time in our lives. You know, because of the ongoing pandemic, many of our groups are not operating as they did only a season ago. And before I get into the message today, I want to say two things about that. One is that I truly believe we can continue to experience the community that comes with a group and the growth that comes with that community, whether we meet in a home, outdoors, or even on a computer screen. This is an opportunity to grow because growth occurs during difficult times, not in times of comfort. The second thing that I want to say is that we have a pressing need right now for people to step up and help facilitate these groups. And often people will say that they aren't gifted to do this, they aren't capable of it, or they don't have the time. But I really want to challenge you today to step up, not just because I want this ministry to grow, but because I want you to answer the challenge that Jesus left for all of us that we're going to be talking about today. So if you have a desire or an interest, or if you just want to find out what facilitating, what leading your group would even look like, please get in touch with us. We are here to help. Okay, now... Having said all of that, I want to ask you, wherever you are, to open your Bibles and hold your place in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Matthew 28, verse 19. And for those of you who have been with us for a while, I know that you're very excited to get back into Matthew's gospel. Uh, don't worry, we are not going to be here long. I have a lot that I want to talk about today. But I believe that it's vital that we read this one familiar verse before we do anything else because it's going to help guide everything that I want to discuss. You can follow along with me as I read Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus says these words, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's it. Last week, my dad opened up this series by looking at the example of Jesus. And we progressed through the final hours of Jesus' life on this earth, uh, leading up to his arrest and his crucifixion that we see in John's gospel. And in that time, we were able to see Jesus give us examples of serving one another, encouraging one another, how we can accomplish more with him and one another than on our own. We looked at what it means to protect one another and finally the challenge to pray for one another. And in all of this, Jesus calls us to do for one another what he did first. 
He gave us, you know, not the example of someone else to follow, but the example of his own life. It's a wonderfully challenging thing. And today what I want to try and do is build off of that example of Jesus and focus on what I believe is Jesus' goal for us. And I believe we see that in Matthew 28, verse 19. In his book, Four Chair Discipling, Dan Spader says this, While Jesus' personal mission was to die on the cross for the sins of the world, his ministry calling was to advance his Father's kingdom agenda by initiating a movement of multiplying disciples. Now, we certainly cannot do what Jesus did in terms of taking on someone else's sins and, you know, making their standing right with God. But we have to ask ourselves, can we live like Jesus? Because I think you can make the case that what Jesus is essentially saying here is, go and live how I lived. Do what I did. You know, can we make people a priority? Can we make community a priority? Can we serve and encourage and accomplish and protect and pray for one another? In short, I think we just have to ask ourselves, can we make discipleship a priority? That's a question that only you can answer for yourself. Now, for us to fully appreciate this, this calling, and it's a calling that's placed on my shoulders, on your shoulders, on everyone who accepts Jesus as uh, their Savior, on their shoulders, everyone's, by the way. But in order for us to fully appreciate this, I want to talk about three levels of community. And so if you're taking notes, you can write this down next to a number one. It's just the word fellowship. Fellowship. Now, I don't have any kind of visual aid with me today, uh, but we're going to be talking about these three levels of community. And at least for our purposes here today, this first one is the biggest and the broadest. And when I, you know, imagine this, what I see are concentric circles. And, you know, really there are three of them. And the largest one, the one that encompasses all the others, is this first one, fellowship. The word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. And it means community, association, communion, and things like that. The most obvious way that we experience this is during a church service. Now, for all of us, this looks much different than it did at the beginning of the year. But I don't believe that this lessens its importance or its value. I want to read a couple verses from 1 Peter. He says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, because of all the things that I want to try and talk about today, I'm not going to have time to really dive deep into these two verses from First Peter, but I do want to talk briefly about them. Because in regards to fellowship and, and in regards to being a part of the church, I believe they have great value. I say that because the first thing that we see is Jesus being referred to as the living stone. 
Not only that, but we learn that when we accept him as our savior, we, like him, become living stones also. And if you think this illustration is a little strange, the reason Peter is writing this way is because of the image of a house that is being built, a spiritual house. Now, I love this image because it conveys the beautiful picture of the church, which we know is not the building itself, but the people who love and worship God. And the reason that I'm talking about this right now is because Peter writes that we are being built into a spiritual house. And the truth is, a house, any house, whether it's a large mansion or a small home, is made up of many parts, many stones, to use the words from First Peter. And what he is saying is that if we are going to be built into a spiritual house, we cannot be alone. We cannot be alone. You cannot build a house with just one brick, with just one stone. Time and again, we see the Bible speak about the importance of community. We have familiar passages like Acts 2.42, which reads, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is a, a beautifully simple picture of what the church is. And at its heart, it's something that is done in a community. We also read these words from 1 John. He says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. One of the things this verse describes is what I would just call the natural community all believers have with one another. This is a fellowship that is not based on anything but what Jesus has done for us. This idea of fellowship highlights the one thing that all believers have in common and it supersedes all other things so that even if we have nothing else in common, aside from Jesus, that's enough for us to live in and to experience fellowship with one another. Now, I'm going to keep referring to those imaginary concentric circles I mentioned earlier. And, you know, like I said, this is the largest one. This is the first level of our spiritual life. And even though there are wonderful things that come with it, God wants more for us than to just experience fellowship with one another. But before I move on, I feel like I need to say one more thing. Even though, and I keep bringing this up, even though we are living during an unprecedented time because of the pandemic, I still believe that we can experience Christian community for a while, for a long time. It won't look like it has for years. And while a big part of me hates that, there is another part of me that wonders if this time of difficulty where we have to be much more intentional about our Christian community, if this renewed need to make it a priority might not be good for some of us, maybe many of us. Like I said in the beginning, growth occurs during times of difficulty. So that's the first circle, fellowship. It's the first one, it's the biggest, and it's what I believe is the starting point for everything else. Uh, now, because we are those living stones, 
And only when we are being put together with each other do we become this spiritual house God wants for us. We can't just stay at fellowship. We have to take the next step forward toward that goal that Jesus talked about in Matthew 28. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down next to a number two because this is the second step. And it's just the word relationship. Relationship. The largest circle is fellowship, and then inside of that one we have relationship. And for the purposes of what we're discussing today, you can just think of the largest circle as the church, and the next circle, this relationship circle, as some kind of small group setting, some kind of small group experience. And I say that because what we're talking about now with this second point is really a deeper level of fellowship. But, even though I say that, it is not just a repeat of everything that we've already discussed. Because to be at this level of relationship with someone else or with other people requires great openness and communication and authenticity. And this is something we truly must choose because these things don't just happen by accident. The fellowship that we're used to experiencing, that we, we, that we were used to experiencing rather, uh, with each other over the course of a weekend service, uh, has great value. I really believe that. But we have to acknowledge that it was brief. You know, we would pass each other in the church building, maybe stand in line together to get a cup of coffee, sit next to each other during the service, or talk to each other between services. And while none of those things are bad, neither do they offer us the safety or the quality time that we have in a group setting to turn our fellowship into a real, genuine relationship. In their book, Creating Community, Andy Stanley and Bill Willits make this claim. We read, We live life around many people, but we experience life deeply with none. Does that describe you? Does that describe someone that you know? One of the things that you often hear people say when they are talking about the goal of a small group or some kind of small group experience is this phrase, they want to share life together. People want to share life together. And I, I like that. You know, I, I really do. But I believe in order for us to have true relationship with one another, we have to think about the quote that I just read. And I think the goal should be to experience life deeply with one another. To experience life deeply with one another. I'm going to go back to the book of Acts chapter 2 and read another verse for you because I believe it points out something valuable that we all need to understand when it comes to relationships. Acts 2.46 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, there are two things that stick out to me from that verse, and I'm sure you see them as well. One, I'm just going to say, is consistency. And we see that in the first two words, every day. Now, don't hear that and think that if you sign up to lead or facilitate or participate in a small group, we're going to tell you that you need to get together every single day. That's not what we're talking about. What I see in those words is consistency and priority. 
We can't do something in our lives with any sense of consistency, let alone every day, unless it's a priority to us. And the second thing that sticks out to me is the location. Yes, they met in the temple courts, but their community did not begin and end there. It went deeper by breaking bread together in each other's homes. And I'm not going to go into great detail about this right now, but I want to at least point out that, you know, sharing a meal together was a significant thing in that culture and in that time. I think that sharing a meal with someone still holds some weight in our society, but not nearly in the way that it did back then. And as far as meeting in each other's homes is concerned, I believe that this always has significance because we don't just let anyone into our homes. Over the years of doing groups ministry, uh, the most consistent conversation that I have with people about being in a group is that they don't want people in their house. They don't want people in their homes. And you know, on one hand, I certainly sympathize with that. You know, I have three kids. I know it can be a pain to clean up and to get ready uh, for company to come over and just everything that goes with that. But on the other hand, I always feel like if we're going to experience genuine relationships with each other, it's helpful to let people into our homes because when we do that, it's the first step toward letting them into our lives. Listen to this quote. A person's ability to love and connect with others lays the foundation for both psychological and physical health. This research illustrates that when we are in a loving relationship, a bonded relationship, we are growing. When we are isolated, we are slowly dying. It's from Henry Cloud. Too many of us try to live an isolated spiritual life. And I understand that because culturally speaking, we tend to be individualistic in nature. And I realize that there are exceptions to this, but in the West, in America, we do tend to lean that way towards this individualistic way of life. But if we want to experience real and, and, and noticeable spiritual growth in our lives, it must come from a relationship. I know. Now, when I am going through a spiritual dry spell, which I think can happen for many different reasons, my first instinct is to think, I need to pray more. I need to read my Bible more. I need to worship more. And I get consumed with this desire to fix myself. And there are two problems with that. The first one is that it puts all of the pressure for spiritual growth and maturity on my shoulders. And even though I do things like go to the Bible, far too often I go there because I want to fix myself rather than just searching for God's wisdom and, and conviction and guidance and praising Him. The second problem with this is that I isolate and insulate myself from any help that anyone else may have to offer. And the truth is that's not healthy. It's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for anyone. I heard a pastor say in a sermon once, and I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, but I heard him say that Christian community is the soil in which we can grow our faith. And I love that simple image because it makes me think, you know, if we take a plant out of the soil, what chance does it have? 
What chance does it have to grow, to thrive, to survive? Our God is a relational being. That is evident all throughout Scripture. And as we talked about last week, when highlighting the way that Jesus treated his disciples toward the end of his life, we see that God wants us to have that same relational experience with him and with each other. This is what we read in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. I also, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now it's time to talk about the final circle in our imaginary illustration. The largest circle, the starting point is fellowship. It's all about that connection that we have with each other as believers in Jesus. And you know, we experience this largely through the local church. From fellowship, we move inward to what I'm just calling relationship. And it's the smaller circle because we have fellowship with all believers, but we can only build relationships with some of them. And this is largely experienced in a group setting. Now, if you're taking notes, you can write this down next to number three because this is the smallest circle. And it's the word discipleship. Discipleship. This is the goal. Make no mistake. Jesus, as we have already read today in Matthew 28, lays it all out for us clearly. Our job is to make disciples. And while I'm sure there are some exceptions to this, I believe more often than not, there is a progression starting at fellowship, moving into a relationship, and then ending with discipleship. And before I go any deeper into this third point, I want to say something up front. I believe that discipleship is a direction that we are going in our lives, not a destination that we arrive at on this side of heaven. I believe that discipleship is a direction we are going in our lives, not a destination that we arrive at on this side of heaven. Now, that's not an idea that's unique to me, and I'm sure many of you have probably heard something like that before, but I wanted to say that up front and with clarity. I believe that we should strive toward discipleship, and I believe it is a journey that we cannot take alone. Jesus modeled what making disciples looked like in his relationship with the 12. And if you really want to get more specific, you can say that we really see this, truly see this in the way that he related to Peter, James, and John. He showed us what discipleship looked like in his example, and everything he did points to this reality, this truth, that we are better together. In the book, Rediscovering Discipleship, author Robbie Gallaty writes this. Author and pastor Eugene Peterson has said, Jesus, it must be remembered, restricted nine-tenths of his ministry to 12 Jews. 
the lion's share of his time was devoted to this small group and not to the crowds or to the congregation. He goes on to say, Jesus took three disciples with him for intensive times of equipping Peter, James, and John. Now, there are many great things that we could talk about when it comes to the way Jesus discipled and what that means for us. But I want to talk about one that I believe is actually the most important one. And you may not agree with me, but uh, I really believe that this is crucial. And it's this reality that Jesus did not leave discipleship to chance. I think many people want their spiritual growth to happen organically, which is another way of saying that they want their spiritual growth to happen naturally, which I believe is another way of saying they want their spiritual growth to happen without having to really do anything. Maybe I'm being a little harsh when I say that, but when we think about the way that Jesus discipled, he didn't just preach to the crowds and then hope that the uh, 12 apostles grew through some kind of secondhand spirituality. He was purposeful and intentional. And if we want to get down deep to this final level, we must be purposeful and intentional too. Once we develop relationships with each other, uh, other believers that are, you know, more than just surface level, we can begin to get to the root of our spiritual strengths and weaknesses, and we can help guide and grow one another together. You know, when we think about all the things that Jesus could have said in Matthew 28 as he was getting ready to depart, we should never lose sight of the fact that he told us to go and do something. He didn't say wait. He didn't say live your best life. He said go and make disciples. One of my all-time favorite passages in the Bible is John chapter 15 verses 1 through 17. It's where Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. As we get ready to wrap up this series, I just want to read a portion of this with you. John 15 verses 5 through 9 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. The goal of Jesus is for you and me to be disciples and for you and me to make disciples. We cannot do this alone. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And apart from each other, we are like uprooted plants with no chance to survive, no soil to grow in. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, we are welcomed into this wonderful fellowship with God and God's followers. Then we need to find people that we can connect deeply with and build a relationship. And this is something that takes time and effort. 
And all of this leads toward becoming disciples and making disciples. I have one more quote for you before we close. Dan Spader in that same book, Four Chair Discipling, says, Becoming a disciple of Jesus does not mean completing a curriculum or attending a church activity. It is a lifestyle of becoming more like Jesus. People love the idea of salvation because anyone with any kind of self-awareness realizes that they are not perfect. But to choose to strive to become more and more like Jesus is something that takes intentionality. And I believe that it can only be done fully with others in a relationship and even then only with those that are closest to you. My desire is to be a disciple and to make disciples. I hope that that is your desire too. Would you pray with me? God, I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with wisdom and purpose, that we would be creative in how we can continue to experience community and discipleship right now in the midst of everything going on in our world. You're not only bigger than this world, you have overcome the things of this world. Help us to draw strength from that. Let us not be foolish, but to do all that we can to continue to grow in the midst of this difficult time. And I pray, Lord, that you would convict our hearts and help us to think about the relationships that we have, how deep they are, and whether or not we are truly growing or helping others grow. I pray that you help us answer the call and make disciples. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.